hurts habits. If any of that describes you and you think, wow, I can't believe I'm here today because I've got a habit I'm struggling with or I've got this tremendous hurt that's just gouging out my soul or I've got a hang-up that I can't seem to get through and I've tried and I've prayed and I've gone to church and there's a program here called Celebrate Recovery. And our church here at Gateway is beginning to start to join in that ministry. It happens just down the street at another church called One Church. That's a funny name, I think, for a church. Uh, because you say, I'll meet you at One Church. And somebody goes, well, which one? Right? But anyways, that's the name. they probably make jokes about that themselves, I'm sure. But anyways, it's right down the street. It's sort of behind the hospital. And it, uh, you kind of take that little street that goes off to the right there. And it's called One Church. And it's on Friday nights. This program is on Friday nights from 7 to 9. And so I just want to put the word out there. If you're a person who feels like you might benefit because you have hurts, hang-ups, or habits, and you would like to participate, maybe I'll see you there this Friday night at 7 o'clock. It's a safe place where all the things that are talked about there are, uh, are you know, kept confidential, and uh, you don't have to say anything if you don't want to. You can just listen, but... Uh, I encourage you to check it out. All right. Well, I'm glad you're here today. School's back in session. People are kind of getting back in the norm. It's the new year, and so uh, sometimes, you know, it's a good time. People make New Year's resolutions, and, you know, they say, man, I'm going to try to get up and go to church more, and that's great. And if you're doing that today, we're glad you're here. Welcome. We're so thankful you're here with us, and uh, we, we hope you feel encouraged, and we hope you will make this a habit of your life to be here. We started this series last week called 1,000 Gifts. 1,000 Gifts. And I presented an invitation to you to think of 1,000 blessings from God and to write them down on paper. Now we've got some notebooks here. They're on the floor right in front of me and on some of these pews. And there's some back by Neil back there in the back. And if we run out, we'll get a few more. But all it is is just a little notebook that you can carry in your car, your purse, or in your pocket. And as you think of something you're thankful for, you can just simply write it down. And I want to thank all of you that have been participating. And those of you that are responding, you've encouraged me. And I want to encourage you to continue to let me know about some of the ways that this is impacting your life. And probably we'll have a chance to share some of those things as we get close to the end of this series. Some of the ways that this has transformed us. It is possible, it's dangerous as a matter of fact, let me say that. It's dangerous when you do a series like this that everybody could just begin to focus on the gifts and just say, well, this is all about the stuff that God gives me. But it doesn't have to be that. We can accept those gifts with gratefulness toward the giver. Amen? So these can turn our hearts toward Christ. These things, as we notice how good God is, it can turn us toward the Lord. It can open up our hearts to the Holy Spirit as we pay attention to all the reasons we have to be thankful. Sometimes I'm surprised by the things that I find in the Bible. I don't know about you. I've been reading it a long time, and I'm still surprised. Maybe I just missed it. I didn't know it was there. I read a story, and I think that's... That couldn't be in the Bible. I've never seen that before. Or maybe it's just that I don't expect that particular thing to come from the source of the Bible. You know, things that I, we kind of are used to and we think they're no big deal. And then the Bible says, no, it's a big deal. It's, it's just some surprise sometimes 
that it comes from that source, from the Bible. A little bit like this story that I heard about a preacher and some surprising advice that he gave. A man came from his church family and said, I'm really upset, I'm ha- things are not good. He said, well, what's wrong? And the man said, well, my wife is poisoning me. Wow. The preacher said, you know, I just, I'm sure that can't be right. Surely she's not poisoning you. To which the man pleaded, I'm telling you, I'm certain, I'm positive she's poisoning. Would you please tell me, what, what do I do? What can I do? And, and the preacher offered, he said, well, I'll tell you what, let me just talk to her. I'll, I'll find, see what I can find out and I'll let you know. A week later, the preacher calls the man back on the phone. He says, well, look, I called your wife on the phone, and we spoke to one another. As a matter of fact, we spoke for three hours on the phone. And and so, do you want my advice? And the man says, please, please, yes, what's your advice? And he says, go ahead and let her poison you. (laughs) Well, that would be kind of surprising to hear that from a preacher if he said that. And uh, sometimes the things we hear from the Bible are a little surprising. Perhaps you were surprised last week by the sin that we read about in the Bible. Because we don't think of it as a sin. But in 2 Timothy chapter 3, we read about the horrible sin of being ungrateful people. Such a bad sin that Paul says, if you know a person whose life is marked By being ungrateful, you stay away from that person. You do not have anything to do with him. You just be apart. Just just keep your distance. And it might surprise you today to learn about another sin that's in the Bible. Some of you don't even know it's a sin. The Bible commands us not to do this. Philippians 2.14 is a commandment from God. A commandment. From the Lord. There are other things that are not commandments that are sort of subtle, and we use a scripture and we say, Well, that scripture says this, so it sort of means, and so this must be a sin. And we kind of get these little categories of things that we say, That must be a sin, and the Bible doesn't even actually mention it. But this is a commandment from the Lord God Almighty do everything without complaining or arguing. There's a great problem today. There's a huge temptation that all of us face. And it's a word that's not in the Bible, but there are stories about it throughout the Bible. It's the word called entitlement. Do you notice that? I deserve fill in the blank. I have the right to get, I should receive fill in the blanks. We feel entitled that we should get, we should have. Can I make an honest confession? Sometimes I struggle with people who are asking for me, me, just John, for help. And oftentimes I meet them because I'm here at the church. But people who are asking me for help, and Amy and I, I, first of all, I'll tell you this, I don't have any control over any of the money at this church. Uh, they just won't trust me with any of it, all right? So, uh, so I, I don't get to make any decisions about what happens with the money at the church. But, but Amy and I set aside a little bit of money, and then when people, you know, somebody needs help, then we try to help them, and we try to have cash on hand to do those kind of things. But I struggle sometimes because the person that's asking for help pulls out a very expensive cell phone, and it has a data plan with it that I know costs a lot of money. 
Sometimes they're driving a car that's worth five or ten times more than the car I'm driving. And I struggle because I'm not sure if this person truly has needs that I should help with or if this person feels entitled to something unrealistic. And part of my struggle is not just the decision of what to do. Part of my struggle is to follow what I just read in the Bible. And that is to do everything without complaining. Because I want to complain about that to you guys. And I want to tell other people about it. I want to wah, wah, wah about those people. But see, doing everything without complaining includes my decision to either help or not help this person. Don't complain about it, John. Just pray, make a decision, and move on with your life. What's the answer to complaining? I mean, let's say you are a complainer, and, and you know it. Now, some of you might be a complainer, and you don't know it. And you can check with your wife or your husband or whoever you live with, and you can find out. But some of you know you are a complainer. You're, you know it. You know it about yourself. And if that is who you are, that defines you, then I want to tell you today, you're living a life of sin. How could you stop? Many times we think the answer is outside of us. It's something on the outside. I mean, I'm uncomfortable, and so I'm complaining. Or I'm annoyed at that person, and so I'm complaining. And if I could just change that, if I could get the thing on the outside comfortable, or I could get the person to change, then that would solve my sinful behavior. Not true. That will not solve your sinful behavior. It's the same with our discussion last week. If I'm an ungrateful person then we think I need to change my circumstances. Something on the outside, if I get more, more abundance, that will, or more comfort, that'll make me grateful. Not true. It won't. Here's another surprising thing, to me anyways. I read a study recently that showed that abundance, more abundance, more comfort, tend to create the exact opposite of what we think it will create. In other words, the more a person has and the more comfortable a person gets, the more ungrateful attitudes they are likely to have, the more complaining they are likely to do. I heard a story from a man who was flying on an airplane and he uh, got bumped up to first class. He'd never ridden in first class before, so he moved up from coach to first class. What a, you know, wow, I mean, that's great. He gets to ride in first class. That'll be really cool. And he said he sat next to the most bitter, complaining, sour person that he had ever met in his entire life, ever. That's all the person did. And as this person left, he said to the stewardess, trying to make sure she didn't think that he was with that guy or like that guy, he apologized. He said, I I'm so sorry that that guy spoke the way he did and treated you the way you did. And the stewardess said this, oh, believe me, we expect that kind of attitude and behavior in first class. How interesting. How interesting. It's counterintuitive to us because we think first class, that means you're more comfortable. You're not as squeezed together and you got, I mean, you got more room and they treat you better and, 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 and there would be less complaining, but there's not. Because the outside doesn't change the inside. Another interesting study that I read that has nothing to do, with, it wasn't a Christian study, neither of these were, they were just psycholo uh, psychology or, or uh, studies of our culture. There was a study done that was trying to find out 
Is there a correlation between a higher salary and a person's happiness? A higher salary and a person's happiness. Do those correlate? And what they found is this, that a person living in America that moves from $5,000 and moves up, up to um, $5,000 a year, someone who makes $5,000 a year, and their salary moves up, up to a $50,000 amount. So anywhere in there, if their salary moves up, there actually is a little bit of a correlation of some happiness. And that sort of makes sense to us because we think those are some basic needs. They're not having creditors call them and, you know, uh, they're not getting their electricity or their gas turned off. Maybe they can get a more dependable car that doesn't break down. Perhaps they can get air conditioning. You know, maybe they could uh, go on a vacation even or they could get a few luxury things. If, you're, if it increases in that, that scale right there, we can see, well, that might make us, there might be some happiness attached to that. That's not so surprising. This surprised me. The study found that once you go from $50,000 per year and you go all the people that make $50,000 a year up to the people who make $5 million per year, what they found was there is no measurable increase in happiness. Isn't that interesting? I'd like to try to be in that study and do the $5 million for a year and find out if they're right or wrong, wouldn't you? You know, it'd be like, okay, let's see. It's probably true, though. As a matter of fact, I know it's true. I know it's true because I know what Jesus said in Luke chapter 12. He said, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. That's not where happiness is. He goes on right after that, Jesus does, to tell a story about a rich man. And he finishes that story by saying this. Life is about being rich toward God. That's where happiness comes. That's where joy comes. So what is the answer? If I'm a person who's living a life of sin, I am ungrateful. Or I'm a person who's rebellious toward God, and I don't care what he said about complaining, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. What if that's me? What can I do? Well, let's see what Jesus did. Let's see what Jesus did when he did not have enough. And that's usually the time that we're tempted to be ungrateful or to complain. So Mark chapter 8, verses 1 through 9. During those days, another large crowd gathered. And since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him. And he said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered, but where? In this remote place, can anyone get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have, Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. When he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people, and they did so. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them and the people ate and were satisfied and afterward the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over about four thousand men were present that day let me say one thing about this story and 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 let's talk for just a moment about the disciples the disciples the twelve who followed jesus for three years they had horrible memories horrible memories 
When they say, when they ask the question, where can anyone get enough bread to feed these people, they have horrible memories. And that's one of the things we talked about on Wednesday night a little while ago, that when we're reading a passage of Scripture, it's really good to back up, read before and after, or maybe read the whole book and see what we find. Because we're in Mark chapter 8, but if you just back up to Mark chapter 6, two chapters, do you know what you find? You find not Jesus feeding 4,000 people, you, feed, you find him feeding 5,000 people. Not with, not with seven loaves, with five loaves. Not with a few fish, only with two fish. But I guess they forgot that. And they just asked the question, we don't know what to do. We can't do anything. Who, how can anyone feed this many people? We don't have enough. They are horrible at remembering, and so are we. We are just like them. All of us can get such a panic sometimes about coming up short or about not having enough for whatever we're facing. And it's like our mind, like, like you know, in, in Star Trek, you know, the Vulcan guy, Spock, you know, like he did a mind erase on us or something. Like he got, you know, he did that with his little deal and we forgot. We just, it was like, went away. And we forget all the times that God has been faithful in the Bible. And we forget all the times that God has been faithful in our lives. We can forget. And so this practice of writing down 1,000 things. I'm almost up to 200. I started a couple of months before you guys. Some of you, I can't believe how far you went. One guy told me he got 86 done in one day. I know another lady that's up to 300 already. So, I mean, we start to just burst with Thanksgiving when we open our eyes and we actually look. I'm, I'm not as quick as you guys are, but this is a, a discipline that hopefully I'm just going to continue throughout this year until at least I get to 1,000 and maybe beyond. This discipline of giving thanks will help us remember. I wonder what, if you're participating, if you got a book or you just got a, a paper at home, I wonder what you wrote down this week. And I know some of you may be saying, well, I'm participating, but I'm not going to write anything down. That's fine. It's between you and the Lord. You can do whatever you want. But there's something powerful about getting something out and writing this down on paper, looking at it, taking time to sit still and think about these things. What did you write? Some have been mentioned here by, by Mike and by uh, Dylan and uh, by Brian. Maybe you wrote the names of people. One lady told me, I think I could fill my whole book up just by writing down the people that I thank God for. Well, that's great. If, you're do, if you haven't been doing that, that's a great thing to do, to write the people's names that you're thankful for. And even beyond that, we can begin to thank God for the specific things about those people that we're thankful for. I'm thankful for that person's smile. I'm grateful for the word of encouragement that that person... I'm thankful for that person's prayers. I'm thankful for that person's laughter. I'm thankful for that person's faith. You could begin to be very specific and thank God for those gifts that have been given into your life that you don't deserve? Think you deserve any of that? Are you entitled to all that? No, it's a gift. Maybe you begin to write down material possessions. I'm thankful for my house, for my car, for my clothes, for my shoes. That's good. Maybe you could begin to think about how those things give you more than just, like how your house gives you more than just shelter. 
There are parts of your house that bring you great joy. There are places in your house that probably bring you great calm and serenity. There are parts of your house that you're thankful for because you get to share that part of your house with other people. You can begin to think, how has this possession, how has God used it to bring me joy in my life? It's a gift from Him. We're not entitled to it. It's a gift. Some of you may have said, I'm thankful for my health. I am too. That's great. Maybe we could thank God for the things our health allows us to do. Thankful I can go for a walk with my wife. Thankful that I can sweat and feel my heart race. I'm thankful that I can, that, that I can walk. That I'm thank, you know, whatever your health is that you're thankful you can do. On these canvases, as Brian mentioned, I hope the things that you'll write, because this will be a great testimony for the whole year of 2014 as we hang them around our church. I hope you'll write down things that are personal things. Because it is possible that we might only write church answers. That we might only go up and write, I'm thankful for Jesus and God and for salvation and for my church family. And I am thankful for those. Maybe above all other gifts that God has given, I'm thankful for Jesus. Those are appropriate. But those aren't the only gifts. We can come to church and we can get into this church answer mentality, can't we? This is such an old joke. Most of you have heard it, but it's just worth retelling. Some of you haven't. About the, the teacher... She was in Bible class. She was teaching first graders. And she said to them, they were talking about all the animals that God created. And she said, now this is an animal that God created. Just imagine this. It's a little brown animal and it skips across the yard and it runs up in the trees and it collects acorns. What is that? And they all just looked at her. Come on, you know what it is. You know, they, they, they have a bushy little tail and they're brown and they run and they can jump from tree to tree. What's that called? And they all just kind of looked at her, you know. And she gave one more description, you know, she said, come on, you know, you've seen these, they're so fun to watch, and they, they save up the nuts for the, for the wintertime, and, and they scamper across the yard, and one little kid finally raised his hand. He said, you know, that sounds a lot like a squirrel, but I'm going to say the answer is Jesus. <laughs> right. Now, why would he say that? Because he's at church, right? And you've got to say a church answer. Well, that could happen on these canvases. We could just say, I can only write church answers, and I can't be honest and be myself. And we're giving you permission to be yourself, to write down those things that are really, you're thankful for. Now, I will tell you, we'll ask you to have a little bit of discretion. You know, it's public, right? Okay. And for instance, on this one over here, and I'm sure all of you go look at it after I tell you this, uh, a junior high uh, student, a junior high boy, wrote he was thankful for hot girls. All right, And actually, I'm glad that he is thankful for hot girls, okay? That's a good thing. And, and if when I was in junior high, you know, that's what I was thinking about was hot girls. And uh, so I just happened to write right above it, right beside it, my beautiful wife, because I hope that's where that's heading, you know? And, and I feel sorry for, you know, the, the junior high student who's just dying, hoping I don't say what his name is. So anyways. <laughs> so... <laughs> Those are ways you can participate this, this, uh, that'll help us remember. There's these books you can write in. There's this book right here. This is where I got this idea from. Thank you to Woody Kay who gave me this book a little over a year ago, I think. And uh, I told you the story about this lady last week. And there, are, I think, are about a half a dozen of these books in our foyer. They cost $10. And if you want one, 
you just grab one out there and hand Barbara $10 or myself or just leave $10 out there or whatever. This is a great book. I think this would encourage you. These are all ways you could participate. Another way we'll give you to participate this week because we're trying to make this very participatory and, and changing in your life and not just sermons. So here's another way you could participate. You could send us pictures this, re- this week. Those of you who are, like to take pictures and you're, you're a little artsy, you know. You could send us pictures and you could text them to this phone number right here. You could do that right now, right this second. You could text those right now. If you've got a picture of someone or something that you're thankful for, you could also send those to the email. Uh, and, and if there are just things, some of you wrote things that you were thankful for this week, you can continue to do that. And um, we will share some of those with you next week. If you participate in this experience this year, I believe that you and I are not going to make the mistake of forgetting as often. Now, here's the last thing we've got to look at. In verse 6 of that text that we just read about Jesus, when he had taken those seven loaves and a few fish, which, by the way, is not enough. Okay, you guys get that? Jesus did not have enough. You can't feed 4,000, 5,000 people with seven loaves and a few small fish. He did something. What did he do? Do you guys remember the word from last week? Here it is, right here on the screen. screen. He, eucharisteo. Eucharisteo, it's a Greek word, and we're going to all say it, because I'm not the only foolish one every week who has to say this word. So on the count of three, I'm going to give you the chance to say eucharisteo. One, two, three. I hope that word just becomes a part of our conversation. I hope we could see each other around town in a restaurant and be like, you know, how are you doing? Eucharisteo. I mean, I'm doing great. You know why? Because I'm giving thanks. I'm living a life all the time of giving thanks. That's what Eucharisteo is. It means he gave thanks. What did Jesus do when he did not have enough? He gave thanks. That's the answer to overcoming these horrible sins of complaining and ungrateful hearts. And I know you and I both feel this way sometimes. I don't have enough. Not enough. I feel that way sometimes. And so do you. Not enough. Your house that you live in, you say, not enough. Your marriage, not enough. Your grandchildren don't call you often enough. Your friends are not there for you enough. Your church doesn't agree with your beliefs enough. You don't have enough of something. And the great temptation is to complain. And the great temptation is to have ungrateful hearts. But the answer is Eucharisteo. He gave thanks. And something amazing happened when he gave thanks. There was enough. And you might say, well, John, that's Jesus, and he did a great miracle, and he changed the bread and the fish, so it would feed everybody. And, of course, I agree with you, you would be right. But he's the same Jesus that we pray through to the Father. And our God is still powerful enough to change your not enough into more than enough. That's what God can do. Even if the circumstances on the outside don't change as drastically as they did in the book of Mark, the change will still be just as evident in your heart because you will stop sinning. 
You will stop having an ungrateful heart. And the outflow of that ungrateful heart will no longer be the vile stench of sinful complaining. You will stop doing that. You'll be a person who lives a life of Eucharisteo. I love this story that I read as we finished today about a missionary who was in another land where they, they haven't, they, at that time they hadn't uh, cured leprosy. And there was a leper colony in that area. And that missionary went to that leper colony and was doing some ministry. And then they said, we're going to have a worship service. Would you stay? And he said, sure, I'll be glad to stay. And the worship leader got up front and started to lead some songs. And then he asked, are there any requests? And the man said, a leper with no fingers raised her fingerless hand and said, let's sing, count your many blessings, name them one by one. Folks, that can only come from the perspective of a person who knows Jesus Christ. And so the invitation today to you as we sing this invitation song is if you're a complainer, then repent. Stop sinning. The invitation is to go during the invitation song right now to get up and go write the things that are bursting out of your heart. Write them on the canvases right now. The invitation is that if you have never accepted the gospel of Jesus, that you've never said yes to this Jesus who died, who was buried, who raised from the dead. He died for our sins and his raising from the dead is our only hope of life after this death. If you've never said yes to him, that's what the invitation is for. If you're ready to be baptized, you come find me. You find me if you need to respond today. Let's go out from here this week and let's live a life of Eucharisteo. Let's stand and let's sing.